Section 7 of De Vulgari Eloquencia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary J. De Vulgari Eloquencia by Dante Alighieri. Translated by Philip H. Wicksteed. Book 2, Chapters 9 through 14. Chapter 9. Inasmuch as the canzone is a joining together of stanzas, as has been said, we must necessarily be ignorant of the canzone if we do not know what a stanza is, for knowledge of the thing defined results from knowledge of the things defining. And it therefore follows that we must treat of the stanza, in order, that is, that we may discover what it is, and what we mean to understand by it. And in reference to this matter we must observe that this word has been invented solely with respect to the art of the canzone namely in order that that in which the whole art of the canzone is contained should be called stanza that is a room able to hold or a receptacle for the whole art for just as the canzone embosoms the whole theme so the stanza embosoms the whole art nor is it lawful for the subsequent stanzas to call in any additional scrap of the art but only to clothe themselves with the art of the first stanza from which it is plain that the stanza of which we are speaking will be the delimitation or putting together of all those things which the canzone takes from the art and if we explain them the description we are in search of will become clear the whole art therefore of the canzone appears to depend on three things first on the division of the musical setting second on the arrangement of the parts third on the number of lines and syllables but we make no mention of the rhyme because it does not concern the peculiar art of the canzone for it is allowable in any stanza to introduce new rhymes and to repeat the same at pleasure but this would by no means be allowed if rhyme belonged to the peculiar art of the canzone as has been said anything however relating to rhyme which the art as such is concerned to observe will be comprised under the heading arrangement of the parts wherefore we may thus collect the defining terms from what has been said and declare that a stanza is a structure of lines and syllables limited by reference to a certain musical setting and to the arrangement of its parts chapter ten if we know that man is a rational animal and that an animal consists of a sensible soul and a body but are ignorant concerning what this soul is or concerning the body itself we cannot have perfect knowledge of man because the perfect knowledge of every single thing extends to its ultimate elements as the master of the wise testifies in the beginning of the physics therefore in order to have that knowledge of the canzone which we are panting for let us now compendiously examine the things which define its defining term and first let us inquire concerning the musical setting next concerning the arrangement of the parts and afterwards concerning the lines and syllables we say therefore that every stanza is set for the reception of a certain ode but they appear to differ in the modes in which this is done for some proceed throughout to one continuous ode that is without the repetition of any musical phrase and without any diasis and we understand by diasis a transition from one ode to another this when speaking to the common people we call volta in this kind of stanza was used by arnaud daniel in almost all his canzoni and we have followed him in ours beginning al poco giorno e al gran cerchio d'ombra but there are some stanzas which admit of a diasis and there can be no diasis in our sense of the word unless a repetition of one ode be made either before the diasis or after or both if the repetition be made before the diasis we say that the stanza has feet and it ought to have two though sometimes there are three very rarely however if the repetition be made after the diasis then we say that the stanza has verses 
if no repetition be made before the diocese we say that the stanza has a fronte if none be made after we say that it has a sirma or coda see therefore reader how much license has been given to the poets who write canzoni and consider on what account custom has claimed so wide a choice and if reason shall have guided thee by a straight path thou wilt see that this license of which we are speaking has been granted by worthiness of authority alone hence it may become sufficiently plain how the art of the canzone depends on the division of the musical setting and therefore let us go on to the arrangement of the parts chapter eleven it appears to us that what we call the arrangement of the parts of the stanza is the most important section of what belongs to the art of the canzone for this depends on the division of the musical setting the putting together of the lines and the relation of the rhymes wherefore it seems to require to be most diligently treated of we therefore begin by saying that the fronte with the verses and the feet with the coda or sirma and also the feet with verses may be differently arranged in the stanza for sometimes the fronte exceeds or may exceed the verses in syllables and in lines and we say may exceed because we have never yet met with this arrangement sometimes the fronte may exceed the verses in lines and be exceeded by them in syllables as if the fronte had five lines and each verse had two lines while the lines of the fronte were of seven syllables and those of the verses of eleven syllables sometimes the verses exceed the fronte in syllables and in lines as in our canzone tragemi della mente amor la stiva here the fronte was composed of four lines three of eleven syllables and one of seven syllables for it could not be divided into feet since an equality of lines and syllables is required in the feet with respect to one another and also in the verses with respect to one another and what we say of the fronte we might also say of the verses for the verses might exceed the fronte in lines and be exceeded by it in syllables for instance if each verse had three lines of seven syllables and the fronte were made up of five lines two of eleven syllables and three of seven syllables and sometimes the feet exceed the coda in lines and syllables as in our canzone amor che movi tua virtù da cielo sometimes the feet are exceeded by the sirma both in lines and syllables as in our canzone donna pietosa e di novelle etate and just as we have said that the fronte though exceeded by the verses and syllables may exceed them in lines and conversely so we say of the sirma in relation to the feet the feet likewise may exceed the verses in number and be exceeded by them for there may be in a stanza three feet and two verses or three verses and two feet nor are we limited by that number so as not to be able to combine more feet as well as verses in like manner and just as we have spoken of the victory of lines and syllables in comparing the other parts of the stanza together we now also say the same as regards the feet and verses compared together for these can be conquered and conquer in the same way now must we omit to mention that we take feet in a sense contrary to that of the regular poets because they said that a line consisted of feet but we say that a foot consists of lines as appears plainly enough nor must we also omit to state again that the feet necessarily receive from one another an equality of lines and syllables and their arrangement for otherwise the repetition of the melodic section could not take place and we declare that the same rule is to be observed in the verses chapter twelve there is also as has been said above a certain arrangement which we ought to consider in putting the lines together and therefore let us deal with this repeating what we have said above respecting the lines in our practice three lines especially appear to have the prerogative of frequent use namely the line of eleven syllables that of seven syllables and that of five syllables and we have shown that the line of three syllables follows them in preference to the others 
of these when we are attempting poetry in the tragic style the line of eleven syllables deserves on account of a certain excellence the privilege of predominance in the structure of the stanza for there is a stanza which rejoices in being made up of lines of eleven syllables alone as this one of guido of florence donna me prega per ch'io voglio dire and we also say donne cavete intelletto d'amore the spaniards also use this line and i mean by spaniards those who have written poetry in the vernacular of oc aymeric de belenois has written nous hom non pot complir adrecamen there is a stanza where a single line of seven syllables is woven in and this cannot be except where there is a fronte or a coda since as has been said in the feet and verses an equality of lines and syllables is observed wherefore also neither can there be an odd number of lines where there is no fronte or no coda but where these occur or one of them alone we may freely use an even or an odd number of lines and just as there is a certain stanza formed containing a single line of seven syllables so it appears that a stanza may be woven together with two three four or five such lines provided only that in the tragic style the lines of eleven syllables predominate in number and one such line begin we do indeed find that some writers have begun with a line of seven syllables in the tragic style namely guido de gisilieri and fabruzzo both of bologna as thus di fermo sofferire and donna lo fermo corre and lo meo lontano gire and some others also but if we go carefully into the sense of these writers their tragedy will not appear to have proceeded without a certain faint shadow of elegy with regard to the line of five syllables also we are not so liberal in our concessions in a great poem it is sufficient for a single line of five syllables to be inserted in the whole stanza or two at the most in the feet and i say in the feet because of the requirements of the musical setting in the feet and verses but it by no means appears that the line of three syllables existing on its own account should be adopted in the tragic style and i say existing on its own account because it often appears to have been adopted by way of a certain echoing of rhymes as may be discovered in that canzone of guido of florence donna me prega and in the following of ours poscia camor del tutto malasciato and there the line of three syllables does not appear at all on its own account but only as a part of a line of eleven syllables answering like an echo to the rhyme of the line before this further point also must be specially attended to with regard to the arrangement of the lines namely that if a line of seven syllables be inserted in the first foot it must take up the same position in the second that it receives in the first for instance if a foot of three lines has the first and last of eleven syllables in the middle one that is the second of seven syllables so the second foot must have the second line of seven syllables and the first and last of eleven syllables otherwise the repetition of the melodic section with reference to which the feet are constructed as has been said could not take place and consequently there could be no feet and what we have said of the feet we say of the verses also for we see that the feet and the verses differ in nothing but position the former term being used before the diocese of the stanza and the latter after it and we declare also that what has been said of the foot of three lines is to be observed in all other feet and what we have said of one line of seven syllables we also say of more than one and of the line of five syllables and of every other line hence reader you are sufficiently able to choose how your stanza is to be arranged as regards the arrangement which it appears should be considered with reference to the lines chapter thirteen let us apply ourselves to the relation of the rhymes not however in any way treating of the rhyme in itself for we put off the special treatment of them till afterwards when we shall deal with poems in the middle vulgar tongue 
At the beginning of this chapter it seems advisable to exclude certain things. One is the unrhymed stanza, in which no attention is given to the arrangement of rhymes, and Arnaud Daniel very often made use of this kind of stanza, as here, Symphos amores de joie d'honneur, and we say, a poco giorno. Another is the stanza, all of whose lines give the same rhyme, and here it is plainly unnecessary to seek for any arrangement of rhymes. And so it remains for us only to dwell upon the mixed rhymes. And first it must be remarked that in this matter almost all writers take the fullest license, and this is what is chiefly relied on for the sweetness of the whole harmony. There are, then, some poets who sometimes do not make all the endings of the lines rhyme in the same stanza, but repeat the same endings, or make rhymes to them in the other stanzas, as Gotto of Mantua, who recited to us many good canzoni of his own. He always wove into his stanzas one line unaccompanied by a rhyme, which he called the key. And, as one such line is allowable, so also are two, and perhaps more. There are also some other poets, and almost all the authors of canzoni, who never leave any line unaccompanied in the stanza without answering it by the consonants of one or more rhymes. Some poets also make the rhymes of the lines following the diocese different from the rhymes of the lines preceding it, while some do not do this, but bring back the endings of the former part of the stanza, and weave them into the lines of the latter part. But this occurs oftenest in the ending of the first line of the latter part of the stanza, which very many poets make to rhyme with the ending of the last line of the former part, and this appears to be nothing else but a kind of beautiful linking together of the whole stanza. Also, with regard to the arrangement of the rhymes, according as they are in the fronte or coda, every wished-for license should, it seems, be conceded. But still the endings of the last lines are most beautifully disposed if they fall with a rhyme into silence. But in the feet we must be careful, and here we find that a particular arrangement has been observed, and, making a distinction, we say that a foot is completed with either an even or odd number of lines, and in both cases there may be rhymed and unrhymed endings. In the foot of an even number of lines, no one feels any doubt as to this. But in the other, if any one is doubtful, let him remember what was said in the next preceding chapter about the line of three syllables, when, as forming part of a line of eleven syllables, it answers like an echo. And if there happens to be an unrhymed ending in one of the feet, it must by all means be answered by a rhyme in the other. But if all the endings in one of the feet are rhymed, it is allowable in the other either to repeat the endings or to put new ones, either wholly or in part, at pleasure, provided, however, that the order of the preceding endings be observed in its entirety. For instance, if in a first foot of three lines the extreme endings, that is, the first and last, rhyme together, so the extreme endings of the second foot must rhyme together, and according as the middle line in the first foot sees itself accompanied or unaccompanied by a rhyme, so let it rise up again in the second, and the same rule is to be observed with regard to the other kinds of feet. In the verses also we almost always obey this law and we say almost because on account of the above-mentioned linking together of the two parts of the stanza and a combination of the final endings, it sometimes happens that the order now stated is upset. Moreover, it seems suitable for us to add to this chapter what things are to be avoided with regard to the rhymes, because we do not intend to deal any further in this book with the learning relating to rhyme. There are, then, three things which, with regard to the placing of rhymes, it is unbecoming for a courtly poet to use. Namely, first, excessive repetition of the same rhyme, unless perchance something new and before unattempted in the art, claim this for itself. Just like the day of the incipient knighthood, which disdains to let the period of initiation pass without any special distinction, in this we have striven to accomplish in the canzone, Amor, tu vedi ben che questa donna, 
the second of the things to be avoided is that useless equivocation which always seems to detract somewhat from the theme and the third is roughness of rhymes unless it be mingled with smoothness for from a mixture of smooth and rough rhymes the tragedy itself gains in brilliancy and let this suffice concerning the art of the canzone so far as it relates to the arrangement of the parts of the stanza chapter fourteen having sufficiently treated of two things belonging to the art in the canzone it now appears that we ought to treat of the third namely the number of lines and syllables and in the first place we must make some observations with regard to the stanza as a whole then we will make some observations as to its parts it concerns us therefore to make a distinction between those subjects which fall to be sung of because some stanzas seem to desire prolixity and others do not for whereas we sing of all the subjects we are speaking of either with reference to something favourable or else to something unfavourable so that it happens that we sing sometimes persuasively sometimes dissuasively sometimes in congratulation sometimes in irony sometimes in praise sometimes in contempt let those words whose tendency is unfavourable always hasten to the end and the others gradually advance to the end with a becoming prolixity end of section seven end of devulgaria loquencia by dante alighieri translated by philip h wicksteed